I do thank your pastor for the words of welcome. It's good to be with you today. And we've known each other a good 25, 30 years possibly. We'll go back a long time. And his wife Pauline also. But it's wonderful to be here and to share a fellowship with you even around God's word today. Turn please to Hosea and the chapter 10. And just one verse we want to leave with you this morning. A little prophecy of Hosea. If you find Daniel, Hosea is the next book after that. And one verse from chapter 10 and the verse 12. Hosea chapter 10 and the verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and reign righteousness upon you. Amen. And we know the Lord will bless this short reading of his precious truth. Let's just seek the Lord and ask for his help even this morning. Our gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we thank you for what has gone forth already in this meeting. We thank you for thy hand upon us. And Lord, even as we come now to thy precious word, Father, we long to hear from thee. Lord, we don't want to hear the voice of a man. We don't want to hear the thoughts of a man. But Lord, we want to hear from God in heaven. Oh, Father, come this morning and speak to all our hearts. We thank you for thy precious word. We thank you for the the words of truth that we have before us this morning. In the midst of this changing world where truth changes every day with people, we thank you, Lord, that we can depend upon thy precious word, the inerrant, infallible word of God. So, Father, come this morning and bless this meeting. Cover us with the blood. And Father, close us in with thyself. Lord, bind the strong man and Lord, give help in this meeting. Give help to this preacher, O God, fill me with thy spirit. And Lord, give the people that listening here that they need. Lord, may they be receptive to thy precious word and not just be hearers, but be doers also. So Father, come now and bless and undertake. And we ask all this in our Saviour's precious and all-prevailing name. Amen. Our text this morning in the book of Isaiah. Although it is written 2,800 years ago, around about, it's as relevant today as it was the time it was written to us. The prophet of old here records timeless truth that is relevant in our modern age. Hosea, the prophet, in obedience to God, stood up in the midst of of a time of judgment in the land of Israel. He was a lone voice in that land. He stood up and he told them of their condition and their need for repentance. Not an easy thing to do. Unfortunately, Israel had abandoned and neglected the ways of the Lord and had went her own way and done her own thing. And here the judgment of God was about to fall upon the land and Hosea was called upon to preach judgment and call the people to repent and to be restored unto the Lord. And like Israel of old, friends, we have to admit this morning that we are in need of repentance. Repentance of sin and we need to return to God and to live faithfully for him. Our verse here deals with issues that transcend generations or or lands. It deals with the principles of sowing and reaping and bringing forth a harvest. Now you don't have to go to Greenmount Agricultural College or any other college or get a a, a degree to realise there is a law in the harvest. If you sow, you will reap. And what you sow, you will reap. 
That is the principle, that is the law of the harvest. And those things don't change no matter where you live in the world. What you sow, you will reap. And we see here today, sadly, in our verse and even in our land, the church is reaping what it has sown. And friend, if you do not sow um, the good seed, you will never bring forth a good harvest. And here, Hosea was tasked with coming towards these people and preaching to a people who were familiar with the ways of God. These were not strangers to the gospel or to, the God, to uh, Jehovah. These were the people of God. They knew the things of God. They knew God's word. And he had the task of coming and preaching to them. And sometimes those are the hardest people to preach to. The people who know the truth, the people who've been brought up in the truth, the people who've been steeped in the truth, they know it inside out. They could preach it better than the preacher can, but yet they don't want to hear it. And here Hosea was called to such a group of people. They had no real, real interest in the truth, no real interest in what he had to say to them. And we can see in this verse here, verse 12, we can, we can see the agonizing cry of this prophet. As he cried unto the, unto the people, it is time to seek the Lord. We are not familiar maybe with this little book of Hosea. It's one of the minor prophets. And don't get caught up in those words, minor prophet. It's just minor because of the size of it, not in regards to the importance of it. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for a doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. And I pray this morning that we will, even through this verse, we will be reproved. And not only be reproved, but also will be brought and instructed in the ways of God and brought into that way of correction and walk in the way of righteousness. As I said, Hosea had an important message. And it really is a threefold message through this little book. Three things he had to do here. Firstly, he had to communicate God's love to these people. He had to remind these people, these were God's people, these were God's chosen people, and he had to remind them, communicate to them, God's love for them. Isn't that a sad thing? You you read the Old Testament time and time and time again, God was gracious to his people. He brought them out of Egypt. They disobeyed him. They wandered in the wilderness. He brought them back to himself. They walked with him for a while again. They disobeyed him and wandered off. And again, he brought them back. And time and time again, he demonstrated his love for them. And here, Hosea comes again. And he tells them, he communicates to them God's love for them. We read in God's word in Jeremiah that the Lord's love is an everlasting love. God's love for us, it never changes. It never grows cold. It, It never diminishes. What a contrast to our love for God. How often it's lukewarm, how often it's, it's apathetic, how often we're half-hearted when we come to worship the Lord. Secondly, Hosea's message was to confront the people, not only to communicate God's love, but to confront them because of their feelings and their rebellion. He describes in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 16, he describes them as a backsliding heifer. In other words, they were stubborn, they were rebellious, they were like that old cow that you were trying to drive into the pen and refused to go, no matter even the farmer gets a a stick out and beats it, it refused to go, they were stubborn. And thirdly, he was called, or he, he called them to repent and come back to the Lord. He was speaking to God's people, but friend, this morning, let me say to you, those same truths are the truths that the preacher brings to the sinner. The preacher is called to communicate to you God's love for you. And how he demonstrated that love upon the cross by sending his own precious son to die there, a ransom for many, and to shed his blood, that you might be forgiven. 
The preacher is also called to confront you over your sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. The preacher is also there to call you to repent and trust in the Saviour. I don't know most of the folk here this morning. I don't know where you stand with the Lord. I don't know if you're saved or whether you're lost. This morning I urge you, friend, to take heed to God's word and turn from your sin and trust in the only Saviour for mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this message, this text, is primarily to God's people. I want to speak this morning on verse 12, and the title of my message is simply The Breaking Before the Blessing. The breaking before the blessing. Three things I want to leave with you. Firstly, we see here a picture of the heart. A picture of the heart. We're looking here at a landscape before us that needs changing. Follow ground. It simply means ground that needs to be broken up. It's a land that it could be productive, but it's not productive. It's been let lie and gone to waste. Whether through neglect or for whatever reason, it hasn't been broken up, it hasn't been ploughed, it hasn't been tilled, it hasn't been planted. It's unproductive land. The prophet here, under the inspiration of, the, of God, he's speaking to these people, he's commanding these people to, to break up their fallow ground. And he observes two things here about this ground. Fallow ground is unusable and it's unused. It's stagnant, it's just, it's just lying there. I'm sure you've often drove past maybe a garden or a field and it's just let go. And the grass has grown up, the weeds has grown through it. It's just uncared for. And this is the kind of ground. It had potential. This land had potential, great potential, but it needed to be ploughed. It, needed, it could have been dry ground, it could have been barren ground, but it's undisturbed. It's, it's just lying there, unused. And friends, there are seasons in the church when God works mightily among his people, every direction you look, the Lord's working. He's saving, he's, he's restoring, he's blessing. And we, and we have such times in the church. We can look back to times in our own province. We, we always go back to the 1859 revival when the Lord worked mightily in this land. In the early 1920s under W.P. Nicholson, again, the Lord worked mightily in our land. We think of the Isle of Lewis in 1948-49 under Duncan Campbell. Great times of blessing. And there are times when the Lord works and it's easy to minister in those times. It's easy to come to church. It's easy to worship. It's easy to pray. It's easy to read God's word in such times. But then there are other times when it's dry it's barren. It seems like months or years since we've seen any spiritual rain. And no genuine Christian in the right mind desires to be in such a place. But yet sadly, there is that experience even in the church of Christ. As you read the scriptures, you find it. Barren times among God's people, among the church. But why is that? Why is that? Is it because God has stopped working? Or is it because we have stopped being interested in seeing God work? Is it because God does not want to meet with us? Or is it because we have stopped seeking God to meet with us? I think the answer is seen in the great decline in church attendance. We saw that in the recent census. And I know your pastor dealt with this the last Sunday evening in a very challenging message. And I don't want to rehash uh, what he has said in an over old ground but I just want to say this and I want to keep it down to 
two denominations, my denomination and your denomination. And do you really think that the 8,433 free Presbyterians and 1,069 independent Methodists who take the box on a census form are all seeking God? I think from our Sunday evening attendances, our prayer meeting attendances, we would have to say those numbers don't stack up. You see, things are bad in the land and we, we've seen the decline. Every single denomination, the numbers, the percentages have gone down. And it wouldn't be so bad that if the, I think it's 645 odd thousand of the mainstream denominations who ticked that box, if all those 645 odd thousand were all seeking God, well, this land would be blessed. But you see, the things are much worse than that because even those, those that ticked the box, very few are really seeking God as they ought to seek God. You see, there's no real desire for God in our land among many Christians. There's no seeking him. There's no urgency. And if we do not seek God as we should, then we cannot expect God to be with us as he would. In other words, if we refuse to plough up the fallow ground, there'll be no real harvest. Oh yes, we're here this morning. and We thank God for the physical harvest. We thank God for his provision. How he provides for us each and every day. Seed time and harvest will not fail. We thank God for that. But what about the spiritual harvest? We're in the midst of a cost of living crisis, we're told. And people are worried about the physical. But what about the spiritual? How many are truly worried about the spiritual? This is the time of day, type of day Hosea speaks on to the people here. In cha- chapter 10 and verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. What does the ground represent here, you might ask? Well, the Lord often uses natural illustrations in the Bible, those pictures, those illustrations to teach us spiritual lessons because we're so slow to learn. Sometimes we're stupid in a sense, and the Lord brings these everyday things to to teach us spiritual truths. And here he's speaking about our hearts. The fallow ground, he's speaking about our hearts. Our hearts need to be broken up for God to revive us. Psalm 34 and 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save us such hours a contrite spirit. Just like that ground is to be broken up, if we're going to be of any use, hearts need to be broken up. Broken up and used of God. See, the heart is a seat of our affections. It all comes from our heart. It's a source of our desire. It's, it's important to note that the heart can be godly or fleshly. It can be soft or hard. And so many people have hard hearts. Hard hearts. They don't want to hear what God has to say to them. One preacher said this. There are too many Christians with soft heads and hard hearts. Instead of having hard heads and soft hearts. There's only one thing for a hard heart friend, and that is it needs to be broken up. You see, fallow ground is unfruitful ground. It doesn't produce anything of any value. The picture of the heart. But notice, secondly, the personal responsibility here. Like many before them, Israel refused to admit their need. They refused. 
refused to admit it. They viewed themselves as God's chosen people, refusing to, to think God would in any way bring judgment upon them. Their lives were void of reverence of God. They had no desire to serve him or live according to his ways. And God challenged them through Hosea to examine their hearts, to examine their own lives and personally engage in an act of repentance and returning unto him. Here Hosea is very clear who he's addressing. Notice the the use of the personal pronouns. So to yourselves, break up your follow ground. It is time and it's implied for you to seek the Lord till he come and reign righteousness upon you. This is a passionate plea to these people to take responsibility for themselves. You see, revival starts with believers. Revival starts with God's people. We all know that verse in Chronicles, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a personal responsibility. And the church will not be prepared for a genuine move of God in revival as long as we see the need of others. But we don't see the need of ourselves. Gypsy Smith, well-known evangelist, preached on revival. He was correct when he said, Take your eyes of everyone around you. Take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around yourself and pray, Lord, revive everything inside that circle. How quick we are to draw circles around everyone else. The participants and blessing and revival are those who draw the circle of responsibility around themselves and cry out to God to have mercy upon them, break up their follow ground of their hearts. As we look at the state of the affairs of in the modern church, we see the same complacency and denial of truth that we see here in Hosea 10. And the church seeks to lay the blame for our decline at the feet of the world and even at the devil. And we never take any sense of personal responsibility for our own spiritual lives, how we need to improve in our own walk of the Lord, how we need to seek to walk after him. Oh, we blame the enemy. Yes, the enemy has lulled us into a sense of sleep. We're half asleep. We need to stand up, friend. We need to realize that we're in a battle. And we need to assume responsibility for this state the church is found in even today. Rather than living as the pleased, the Israelites were seeking only to satisfy the flesh. They weren't seeking to please God. And he challenged them here in verse 12 to sow to themselves in righteousness. Because he said in verse 13, he said, You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because I did trust in thy way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. How many today are seeking to trust in their own way? Even within the church, seeking to do it their way rather than God's way. Friend, we need to do it God's way. And here they are called upon to repent of their feelings and their departure from the things of God. He says, so in righteousness. He calls the people to obey the truth of God's word. That's what he's saying. Obey God's word. And he he calls them to, rather than hear more truth, they were to obey the truth they read in you. Isn't that so true, friends? We all know the truth. You hear the truth here every Sunday from your pastor. 
as many other faithful churches in this land hear the truth from the ministers in the pulpit. And yet we're all, each one of us, even the, the pastors included, are so quick to obey what God tells us to do. We look for excuses, we look for the easy way out of it. When the Lord says, repent, return unto me, break up the fallow ground of your heart, seek the Lord. This is a message of personal responsibility. You see, the principles of sowing and reaping, they never change. We always reap what we sow. That is the law of the harvest. We always reap what we sow. Paul wrote in Galatians 6 and 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever. A man soweth that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh, shall reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due time we shall reap if we faint not. Friend, what are we sowing? You see, we cannot keep neglecting our hearts and expect the Lord to bless us. We can't. It doesn't work. If you go out every day, the farmer, and sow weeds, you're going to get weeds. You're not going to get the corn. You're not going to get the flowers. You're going to get what you sow. Friends, we're reaping what we sow. You might say, well, how do I know I have followed ground? How do I know my heart is like that? But what is the evidence of that? Well, when you fail to seek the Lord like you used to, then there's follow ground. When you're willing to sweep sin onto the carpet and not worry about it anymore, just walk over that carpet day by day and not worry about that sin, then there's follow ground. When the church becomes like microwave Christianity, in other words, an hour a week does you. Quick blast, quick snack. Not you for the rest of the week. Then there's follow ground. A.W. Tozer describes the life of such a person. He said the man of follow life is, is, in, is contented with himself and the fruit he once bore. He does not want to be disturbed. He smiles in tolerant superiority at revivals, fastings, self-searchings and all the travail of fruit-bearing and the anguish of advance. The spirit of adventure is dead within him. He is steady, faithful, always in his accustomed place, like that old piece of follow ground. Something of a landmark in his little church, but he is fruitless. The course of such a life is that it is fixed both in size and in content. To be has taken the place of to become. The worst that can be said of such a man is that he will be. He has fenced himself in, and by the same act he has fenced out God and the miracle of growth. Does that not describe many Christians today and many churches today? Maybe that describes you today, friend. That is your life. You fenced yourself in. You're discontent with the status quo. You're just happy with what you've got. You don't desire any growth. See, friend, it doesn't matter what the problem is in our land, whether that is political, social, or spiritual. The answer is always the Lord. The Lord is the answer to every problem. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. The Lord is the answer. We need to get back to God. This land needs to get back to God. The nation needs to get back to God. And the church needs to get back to God. We need to have the heart the King Josiah did. For he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and inclined neither to the right nor to the left. Listen to Second Chronicles 34 and 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, 
When he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphat the son of Azaliah, and Masiah the governor of the city, and Joah the son of Joaz the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Is that not where we need to start, friend? In the house of the Lord? Do we not need to start in the church? James 4 and 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. There's very little mourning, very little weeping over the state we find ourselves in. Are we not more like the church of Laodicea, who amongst us today can deny there's lukewarmness in the church, in our lives, uh, as we examine our own hearts? Are we not prideful? Do we not say, I'm rich, I'm increased of goods, I'm in need of nothing? Spiritually speaking, that's what we say. And all the while the Savior says, do you not realize, friend, that your heart is like fallow ground? Your, your heart is hard, your heart is crusty. It hasn't been plowed in years. It's unproductive. It's not producing any fruit. It's covered of weeds and briars and stones and rocks and rubbles. And you don't even know it. Savior says you don't even realize it. You just carry on like you always had in your pride and your stubbornness. Rather than having the blessing of God. Knowest thou not that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's what he says to the church. But yet we're more like Samson aren't we? I'll do as I've done before. I'll arise, I'll go out, I'll do as I do all every week. And yet he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. Friends, we may never get to that part. Where Ichabod is written across the doors of our churches, the glory of the Lord has departed. You see, in spite of all that, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our failure, the Lord says... He says, I am willing to forgive you and take you in and bless you. For he says in Revelation 3 and 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I will stop with him and he with me. What a forgiving God we have. And here in Isaiah 10 and 12, Hosea emphasizes the urgency off the hour. He just cried, it's time. It is time to seek the Lord. God warned, time is running out. Especially for the northern kingdom of Israel. And sadly they would not heed his warning. They would eventually be conquered by the Assyrians. God was pleading with them, giving them a chance to repent, return unto him and serve him in complete obedience and surrender. While our situation is slightly different from that. The urgency remains in the spiritual sense. And sadly, the Western church has lost her zeal. We've grown complacent in our convenience. We lack a burden for the unsaved. Many view the relationship of Christ as that of reserved for once a week. I'll go if it suits me. If I've nothing else on, I'll come to that special meeting. Christian, let me say... Church should be your excuse for missing everything else. Not the other way around. Church should, you, should be your excuse for missing everything else. You see, church is not a place we visit on occasions. Rather, it's a lifestyle that we are expected to live. 
And the church is not this building or these facilities. It's the body of Christ. And it's time for us to repent of our sins and seek the Lord as the body of Christ. Because there's a great need. It is time to seek the Lord. Do you sense the urgency in the prophet's voice here? It's time. Maybe you say, you have no time to pray. You have no time to seek the Lord. I have no time to give. I don't think it's that bad. Friend, you glance at that 2021 census and you realize there's a spiritual decline in our land and it's only going one way. It's only going one way. Time to act is now. One final thought. We've seen the, the picture of the heart and we've seen the personal responsibility. Look at finally the promised blessing. Promised blessing. Hosea describes incredible blessings that come to the people of God when they break up the fallow ground and when they sow in righteousness and reap in mercy. He speaks here at the end of the verse, till he come and rain righteousness upon you. What a glorious image. Can you imagine the riches of heaven falling down upon us like that mighty cloudburst? You know what it's like? You go out for a walk Sun shining and a cloud comes over and next thing you have a sun shower. The rain falls down. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? What a wonderful picture. A mighty heavenly shower of blessing from the Lord. I wonder, do you desire that, friend? Is that your heart's desire today? The former latter rain that will come and shower that broken up fallow ground and that will produce a wonderful and beautiful and mighty harvest. See, here's a picture of revival. Here's the Lord moving. God coming among his people in great power. That's what revival is. God coming among his people in great power. The presence of almighty God in our midst. That's what revival is. Do you seek that? God visiting, God visiting his people. You see, that should be the ultimate focus of our praying, that God would come again, that he would rend the heavens, that he would come down amongst us, that we would keep praying and keep seeking till he come and reign righteousness upon you. We have a picture here of Elijah. Remember how he prayed for the rain to come? We read in James 5 and 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, prayed earnestly that it might rain, not rain and rain not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit because the Lord had promised. The Lord had promised and the Lord promises us Blessings, because he says in Isaiah 44 and 3, I will pour waters upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up among you the grass as willows by the water courses. But do you desire it? Do you want it? What a promise for someone who is walking with a humble and broken and contrite spirit. You see, God is bound by his word. God is bound by his word. His promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. His word does not fail. It does not lie. And he has promised, I will 
pour water upon him that is thirsty. But are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Let me close of Tozer again. As he describes now the ploughed life. The ploughed life is a life that has, in the act of repentance, thrown down the protecting fences and sent the plough of confession into the soul. The urge of the spirit, the pressure of circumstances and the distress of fruitless living have combined thoroughly to humble the heart. Such a life has put away defence and has forsaken the safety of defence for the peril of life. Discontent, yearning, contrition, courageous obedience to the will of God, these have bruised and broken the soil till it is ready again for the seed. And as always, fruit follows the plough. Life and growth begin as God rains down righteousness. And such a one can testify, the hand of the Lord is upon me there. Oh, after a barren spell, don't we love to see the rain coming? The farmer certainly does. If you're a farmer here, if you have went out and planted your seed, it's been a dry spell, you look for the rain. You're praying for those showers to come. You need it for the harvest. And when the rain comes, the flowers were drooping or revived, they're refreshed. And that dry ground, it joyfully licks up those, that water, yearning for that water. Friends, that, that's what we need this harvest season. We need an appetite. We need a yearning. We need a desire for reviving, for a growth, for a refreshing from God. Do you have that appetite? Do you have that desire? If not, then seek to break up the fallow ground of your heart. For surely it is time for you to seek the Lord.